Today on the Talent Cast, I call utter, complete, and absolute bullshit on the concept of helping people find jobs. No, for some reason, Indeed is not sponsoring this podcast. Can you believe that? We'll be right back. Hello, and welcome to the Talent Cast. I'm your host, James Ellis. We're here to talk about employer branding and talent acquisition, talent recruitment marketing at some fairly deep levels. We're not here to pitch books. We're not here to pitch software. This is a 100% pitch-free zone. We're here to go back to first principles and really think through what it's going to take for you to be better at employer brand and talent acquisition, for you to win the war for talent. Yes, that's a bad metaphor. Yes, people shouldn't say it. Yes, it's also my Twitter handle, so I can't help you. This will not be your standard podcast. This will be a little goofy, a little weird, a little bit of me. Hopefully, you're going to learn something from it. If you like it, please tell people. Uh, If you like it a lot, review us on iTunes and Google Play. Otherwise, you can hear, learn more about us or talk to us directly on Twitter, again, at The War for Talent, or just go to our website, thetalentcast.com. So that having been said, here's the show. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, I figured I'd start this one off with a, with a kick. Yeah, Indeed's not going to like this, but they should. They really should because this isn't I, – I know I start off on the wrong foot. I know I start off kind of claiming something, but let's talk about this idea. And it's an idea that Indeed has embraced. It's their mantra. It's what's on their T-shirts. Uh, and I have friends over there, connections over there, so I respect them. This isn't about calling them out. This is about calling the concept out of helping people find jobs. Indeed, we help people find jobs. And frankly, that's great. I want them to help people find jobs, but I really don't think that's true. I don't think what a job board does, and that includes LinkedIn, includes Glassdoor, it includes uh, our soon-to-be 800-pound, 8,000-pound gorilla in the room, Google, uh, every micro board, every niche board, every uh, non-digital job board in the world, they all embrace this idea that we help people find jobs. And I think it's a lie. What they're actually doing, when you really think about it, is they're helping people find job openings. That is, a company has decided to announce in some manner of digital or non-digital you know, means that they ha- are looking for to fill a position. They have an opening. Now, I remember way back in the day, way, way back in the day, when my fir- looking for jobs, and the first couple jobs I looked for, I looked for by waiting for Sunday and opening up the newspaper and looking at all the job boards. And this was in Raleigh, North Carolina, a long, long time ago. And it was, this is how you found a job. You look for openings on the Sunday paper. And this is, by the way, was why newspapers were so profitable for so very long on the backs of the classified ads, almost all of which happened on Sunday. Uh, job openings and car ads pretty much funded most of your local papers up until the last uh, 15 years when Craigslist pretty much put that to bed. Um, but the, 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 the discussion at the time was that for all the job openings you saw in a newspaper, because it cost a lot of money to put a job open, even those tiny, small, text-only job openings were expensive to put out there. Because of that, most job openings never got promoted. Most job openings were what they call ghost job openings or ghost openings or gray openings. That is, they didn't get promoted. They didn't get talked about. They might not have even written a job description. They just knew that Suzanne was leaving and retiring and they needed to fill Suzanne's spot and they were going to promote someone to her spot that they really need to fill the person they promoted up. So they needed to find someone with a little bit of experience who they could groom over time to fill this role and maybe in 20 years when that person uh, who was replacing Susan is, is leaving, the new person could eventually kind of adopt that space. 
That sounds great, except most of you pretty much realize that nobody stays in jobs for more than a couple years, it seems. Certainly, blah, 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 new millennial, blah, 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 new generation, blah, 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 blah. I don't buy any of it. I don't think millennials hop, job hop any more than anybody else did. I know I job hop just as much as any millennial, and I'm deep in the X zone of, of Gen X. But that concept that we would fill roles in at a lower level designed to groom them to move up is how the world used to work. You used to assume once I hire this person, I probably have five to seven years before they start looking around, and that's pretty much not true. You replace the word years with months, and in some cases weeks, uh, and that's how long you can expect to keep somebody before they get antsy and they start looking around, which is why uh, candidate and, and employee experience is kind of important to what we do, but that's not really the subject that we want to talk about. But the truth is most job openings went unpromoted. You went and just looked for friends of friends. You went into internal networks. Maybe you went headhunting. Maybe you brought in a, uh, a temp company and you hired a temp and you made that temp work for about six months and you said, you know, that temp work is working so great, that contractor is working so great, we're going to hire them full time. Those job openings were not part of a promotion. They weren't a job listing out in the world. They were, you know, you hired, you contracted a company to, to find a contractor who was a good gamble, a good risk, who had potential. You bring them in, see if they work, and if they work, you hire them full-time. That was where a lot of the jobs were. And then, of course, higher up the ladder, executive jobs, there was no ladders. There was no uh, super high-end job boards. It was headhunting companies. You had to know people who knew people who were looking for things, and you would talk to people. You needed another director of marketing or a director of, of legal. You needed to go find and talk to your existing or leaving director of marketing and director of legal. See, who did they know? What events are they happening? How do you put this out in the world? They were not well promoted. But as the digital world has come to be, it's, it's kind of hard to think that there's still not any jobs that aren't digital. So when I have a company, and let's pretend I do, and I have a job, uh, a career site, and let's pretend I do, and I post a job, and it effectively costs me nothing. Yes, I had to pay for somebody's time to write that job description, but frankly, I probably should have had a job description. I had to pay for someone's time to put that job description online, and frankly, that shouldn't be a very tough thing to do, and it's not an expensive thing. So our unit cost on publishing a job description is as close to zero as you can reasonably get. There's no reason for me to not put out into the world that I have an opening on my site. Now, companies, as we've talked about, Indeed and Glassdoor and all these other places, who are great at scraping sites and grabbing feeds, they are go they're desperate to get my jobs that I have not promoted and not paid for, but I've simply put in an online forum, and they get scraped and they get put in these massive job boards where people find them. Again, while Indeed and all these companies talk about how we help people find jobs, they're just helping people find job openings. And it's predicated on the fact that I, as the owner of a company, or I, as the manager of talent in this company, have decided to write a job description and put it online. The truth is we're not helping people find jobs. We're simply saying, hey, we have openings. You should probably apply for it. It makes the process of looking for a job deeply transactional. Beyond the concept that looking for a job isn't really transactional, especially once you get you know older than 25, I guess. It, it's not about, hey, I have an opening. F you know, Apply for this opening. Throw me your resume. Fill out these fields, and we'll see what happens. That doesn't work anymore. I mean, there's a, there a, there a very short period in which the concept of an ATS kind of taking over the world made a lot of sense. 
right? You had some uh, some smart databases and you had some smart fuzzy logic built in that you could start to do some matching. So you could collect a lot of resumes and your recruiter could do a really quick kind of search for people who had those keywords in their resumes. Anyway, they would identify the top three or four prospects, give them a couple phone calls and hand three people over to the hiring manager and, the, and away, you were, away you went. That was the world in which the ATS, you know, were the dinosaurs. They were, they were literally crawling across the earth. The, the, the earth trembled as they, as they marched. Boom, boom, boom. And of course, now when you think about ATS and dinosaurs, it's a very different idea that maybe an ATS isn't the most important part of your talent space, that it's just a tool to help manage stuff, but it's not helping you find things. It's not helping you do a good job of attracting people. I mean, let's be fair. I've seen some really nice ATSs and they're still pretty much crap. They're still compared to Slack, compared to Snapchat, compared to tools that we use on our iPhones every single day. They look like 1988 technology effectively because they are. Even the brand new ones, is <laughs> like they've put no new thought into how to look for a job and how people want to understand a job and find a job that they're just, you know, a prettied up clone of the way it used to be. But that's a whole other conversation I'm not trying to get into. You know, job openings don't become openings. They just, even though you put them out there, even though you can find them on, on job boards, because it's free, now people just push jobs out there for the heck of it to see what they can do. Some companies have entire strategies around sourcing about posting things or having evergreen posts and saying, look, treat this like uh, trawling a riverbed where you're just putting a wide open net and scraping as much as you can. And maybe you don't need to have an opening right now. Maybe you don't need somebody today, but maybe in six months you might, and it'd be good to have their resume on file. Now, of course, in a world where everybody changes jobs every two years, how, how important is that resume from six months ago? How accurate is it? Eh, not so much, but it's a whole strategy. They post jobs just to troll, just to collect the biggest res resume database as if having that resume on file will actually help them find talent. And that's crazy. That's not what it's about. What we're looking for is to help people understand what the job is, right? What they're all about, what the company's all about, what they stand for, what they're doing all day, what the culture is, what all that stuff matters. Let's think about any a particular job. Let's think about, and I've been, like I said, I mean, my head's been in the developer space for a couple of months now, so let's go ahead and continue in that vein. If you're hiring a developer, one, you're always hiring developers. Let's just be fair. You are perpetually and for the rest of your life, for all of eternity, for here on and here on, so saith me, looking for developers of some sort of ilk, some sort of technical coder, data science type person. You know, whether it's for your mobile app, whether it's for uh, artificial intelligence, whether it's for the bots that you're building, it doesn't matter. You are always going to need developers to run your enterprise stack, to manage your roadmap, to do all this other stuff. You will always need developer type people forever and ever. Don't think that this is a short term thing. Welcome to the forever of now, right? Mm, coffee. And since you know you always need developers, you can step away from this idea of, I need a developer today. I mean, yes, you may need developers today, and you need to fill that role as soon as humanly possible because people are screaming at you, but you can't pretend that once you fill that role, phew, I'm done. Hiring a developer is kind of like vacuuming the house or doing the bed. Just because you did it once doesn't mean you're done. It means tomorrow you're going to do it again, or next week you're going to do it again. So rather than just treat vacuuming or making the bed as this thing you do once, you have to treat it like a process. You have to treat it like a system that you're always thinking about and collecting good people or sourcing people for the job that you may not need immediately, but you may need in the future. 
Now, that doesn't mean just, again, going back to the ATS model where you're scrolling, collecting every uh, resume that comes down the pipe and just saying, okay, good, I got them. But what you're trying to really do is help people understand why they should work here. And I know this is, this is ground I've tread before, but why you work here is so important to everything we do. In a model where there's so little unemployment and there's such high demand for people with real talent, valuable talent, the why you work here is becoming the most important thing that we do. The why we work here is the crown jewel of everything in, in recruitment marketing and, and talent acquisition, talent attraction. Why do you spend time? 8, 10, 12 plus hours doing this thing. Why do you get out of bed? Why do you leave your family to do this thing? Is it because the how you do it? Is it because the who you do it with? Is it because what you're trying to achieve? Is it because eventually it makes you wealthy beyond your wildest dreams? Is it because it makes you famous? Is it because you get to grow as a person or professional? What? What is the thing? Why? Define it, nail it down, understand it, and make it communicated in a way that I can embrace as a developer in this example. That's the goal. And when you focus on building that out, what happens is it shifts your model. It's not about helping people find jobs. It's not about helping people find job openings. It's about telling a story about why people work here and effectively leaving the end of that story open-ended to say, and you might like it here too if you are this kind of person. So focus again on the concept of why Google is the number one most desired, most admired employer in the world pretty much every survey, every year since, I don't know, I can remember, <laughs> right? I mean, you don't have to, if you just have to say the most desired company, we all know we're talking about Google. They kind of own that map. And when you think about everything Google has done to become the most desired employer in the world, you have to wonder, how the hell did that happen? They have a pretty media, for a long time, they had a very, very thin career site. It wasn't until about a year ago that they redesigned the career site to be interesting and useful. For a very long time, and I mean a very long time, 15 years, it was crap. It was just an ATS and they were collecting resumes. Beyond that, they had horrible candidate experience. Rampant online was this concept of, I got recalled by a recruiter and now I have like seven interviews to go through, including a full day whiteboard interview. They were brutal to their uh, prospects. Brutal. They flew them in, but they just worked them to death for a full day or two. Series of phone interviews, series of real interviews. If you look at Lazo's book, Lazo Block's book about uh, Google talent, you know, they played with this idea of having a lot of interviews and saying, you know, if you hit the sixth or seventh interview of a process, does it actually help you identify the likelihood that this candidate will be successful here? You know, what happens when you go beyond two or three conversations? Is your ability to identify that person as talented or not talented go up or go down? Well, it turns out it doesn't do anything. You really kind of know who someone is and their, and their likely value um, stays effectively the same after the second or third interview, right? So if it's a 50-50 shot when you hit interview number three, it's a 50-50 shot when you hit interview number 4,000. You know, if you, if you live with this person for a year, you will no, have, have any more likelihood of understanding whether this person will be a great fit or not. So they were brutal. They actually kind of liked it. They A-B tested their process. They tried every little thing. But at no point were they good at this process, meaning they weren't there about the candidate. They were there about themselves. They had no cool, sexy, interesting, fun technology. They weren't telling a lot of great stories. You know what they had? They had Gmail. They had Google Maps. 
they had Google News, and they had this little property called Google.com where pretty much 50% of all web traffic started. It was the front door of the web. Now it's shared with Facebook, but whatever. For a very long time, this company started with an algorithm, was one of the most desired employers, and they did almost nothing to make that happen. So we have to ask yourself, if that's true, and by the way it is, if that's true, why am I so invested in all these tactics to help people find jobs? Why am I so invested in an, a, a, a pretty ATS or a, or a great, gorgeous, easy-to-use career site? It's a, it, it, it's, a, it's a tough question to ask, but it's, it's certainly valid. Hey. Uh, just interrupting myself for just a second, just to remind you that because this podcast has made me extraordinarily wealthy, there's really nothing you can do. You don't have to buy anything. You don't have to make any commercials or anything. You do not have to donate anything at all to keep this podcast going. Again, wealthy beyond my wildest dreams. Thank you all. I appreciate it. All you can do to help me make this podcast even better somehow is to review us on iTunes and Google Play and other places that you review and share podcast information. That's all you got to do. Leave some stars, leave a review, whatever you got to do. We really appreciate it. It's what keeps us going. Thanks to the people who've done it already, but keep them coming. We really do, like I said, we really do appreciate that. That's all I had to say. Again, I want to stop interrupting myself to bring you the amazing voices of me. Bye. If the goal is not to say, look, I have a job opening. I'm here just to figure out how to match people up. Because that's not what Google did. Google just said, look, we have some openings and apply if you want. And once you apply, we're going to beat you about the head and neck for a couple of weeks while we go through the interview process. Welcome. <laughs> if that's what it takes to be the number one employer, how come we're all taking the wrong lesson and saying, ooh, let's get into Snapchat. Let's start a Slack group for our team. Let's go ahead and make some bots. Let's go ahead and figure out ways to leverage Facebook to figure out how to make it super easy for everybody and their dog, to anybody who can spell the word resume, how to apply, and frankly, the 20% who can. Let's just make it easier for them to apply. That's the problem. What Google is great at, what is unspoken about this entire process, what Google is just amazing at and has always been amazing at is simply this idea of knowing who they are. We're here, and they, they, they were there to, to uh, organize the world's information. They had a couple of very simple stories that got told over and over and over and over again. One, they have amazing perks, lunch and coffee and all this stuff. And we've talked about that before, you know, and their perks all in service of this idea that, yeah, if you're going to live here, you might as well get fed. That seems reasonable, right? The other story that got told was the 20% rule. 20% of your time is dedicated to whatever you think is interesting. This is actually the most important story, but people skip past it. I think we're so focused on the competition of who can offer the most perks and the most benefits and the highest salary and the most amount of stock and the coolest uh, uh, um, uh, gift and the coolest perk they can tack onto it, whether it's massage rooms or jelly bean chairs or jelly bean chairs, that'd be a thing, right? Or, uh, um, you know, cart, golf carts that take them from place to place or I don't know, doesn't matter. Developers, or at least the best developers, did not go there because they got free pizza. Deve the best developers did not go there because there was a massage in it for them. Let's be fair. I, don't, I know some developers. I don't think massages are where they're at. That's not their thing. That's not their jam. They went there because aside from getting paid to do some very interesting work with a very interesting company, 20% of their time was their own. 
to say, you know what I'm really interested in? I'm interested in making a script that does this and then connects it to that. And I, myself, human, as, a, as a person, have, have taken a lot of advantage in past projects of those alpha tools. The tools that developers made on their spare time, on this 20% time, to kind of fill in the gaps. This is way back when I was working for a nonprofit and we moved from an, a Unix-based email system called Horde. Some of you are giggling. Uh, for those of you who are old and nerds and remember things like that. And we were moving to a ed an education-based Gmail account. The problem was we had to use the standard Gmail uh, homepage to log in. So instead of putting your name at gmail.com, you would put your name at whatever the, the domain was, the university's domain. The problem with that, of course, is that the university went, well, gosh, that's a lot of traffic going to that page. Why can't I use it to put my message out there? And that seems reasonable. <laughs> you know, if you're going to have, you know, 40,000 people log in every day, and this is a chance for, you know, you, you spent the time and energy to set it up, you want the chance to put your message out there. That's kind of the, the bargain. Well, Gmail wasn't set up that way. At least G Gmail for education wasn't set up that way. But some guy kind of said, I can see the value in this. What if I made a little script that made it very easy for someone to log in, put a couple of messages in it, and still have that same Gmail login? So you know, how do you make a wrapper around this page so that our clients who are getting people to use Gmail more and more and more actually at least have the chance to, to get something of value out of it? And it was an alpha script. It was ugly as sin. It took a, <laughs> it was, it was a couple of days of kicking the tires. But without it, it, was, it wasn't something I could do. I took advantage of what someone did in their free time. They saw a, a, an opportunity, an interest, or an, a, re, a, a reason for being, kind of a need, and they filled it. Google, Google News was started the same way. Somebody said, you know what? We have all this information. One of the things we don't do a good job of, of managing is news. And Google News was in beta for a long, long time, but it started as some guys or girls, I don't actually know who it is, their idea. And they started it, and they got a couple friends to work on it with them, and that became their side project. This is why Google's Google. Because the best developers in the world don't want to actually work for you and do your projects for the most part. They want to do theirs. Now, take this idea that it's not about the perk. It's not about the amazing salary. It's not about the, the buses with the Wi-Fi or the 14 different kinds of coffee and three different kinds of, actually three, it's probably close to seven different kinds of milk. Um, that it's not about that. I mean, sure, those are nice. Everybody likes that. Everybody likes coffee or tea or LaCroix or soda or whatever they drink. They like it on demand. They like it free. They like it easy. Sure, who doesn't like that? But if every company in Silicon Valley is offering it, and by the way, every company in Silicon Valley offers that, pretty much, look around, trust me, <laughs> they are. If every company is competing on that and they're all the same, What's left to compete on? Why should someone work for Google and why does somebody want to work for Google so much and they don't want to work for other companies or they don't want to work for them nearly as much? Why does Google drive that fanaticism? Well, it's obvious because Google is set up around the developer. They've said, we know as a company that without passionate, caring, dedicated, thoughtful, smart developers, we're yet another company. And we want the best of the best. We want the people who put their, their whole being, their whole heart, their whole soul, their whole mind into these projects. And in return, you get a chance to work on the stuff that you care about most. For a developer who knows what he's, he or she is doing, my, my, my apologies there, for a developer that knows what he or she is doing and has skill and talent, 
Where else would you work but a place that's going to pay you to do what you want to do? There you go. So let's stop talking about developers in just you know, 12 seconds and talk about the rest of the world. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about hiring the next recruiter. Let's talk about hiring the next uh, marketing specialist. Let's talk about hiring your next social media specialist. You can't just say, hey, 20% of your time you can do whatever you want because that'll be crazy town because you can't manage that very well because you're not set up for that. But the question remains, those people want to work for Google, not you. Why? Well, because everybody else wants to work for Google. Google has turned this idea of getting 10% or 20% and getting all of uh, these perks has kind of formed some sort of critical mass. Now, everybody thinks they want to work at Google, even though most people don't really wouldn't really like it. Spending your time cold calling people and selling ads, for whom exactly, exactly is that fun? Not a lot of people. And yet, a lot of resumes. So how does that apply to you? You're hiring that, that social media specialist or that marketing specialist or that recruiter or whatever. It doesn't matter. What can you do? What can you provide that matters? It's not about finding a job. It's not finding pushing an opening out. We've optimized that process such that at any point in time, using this little tool called, hey, wait, look, Google, you can find all the job openings. They're not hidden. They're not, you know, <laughs> not listed. They're all out there. We've made it so easy to publish and push them out there and make them searchable and findable. That problem has been solved. When you're trying to hire people, it's not a question of we're trying to help people find jobs. No, you're not. No, you're not. What you're really trying to do is trying to explain why you are different from someone else. When push comes to shove, when there's two jobs out there that someone could apply for because they actually have a finite amount of time and energy to apply for a job and they really only have time for one right now, why yours and not theirs? This is the crux of all recruitment, marketing, and employer brand right here, this moment. I don't care what level it is. I don't care if you're hiring a janitor, the person who replaces your coffee, or the person who sweeps up at the end of the day, or you're hiring your next C-suite person. In the end, if they have to apply for a job, and by the way, most C-suiters don't apply for jobs. I, I appreciate that. But if, if they're having to apply for jobs, why yours? Why yours instead of why that other person's? And if you can't come up with a story that is so specifically you, much like Google was all about that 10 or 20%. I don't remember the number off the top of my head. If you can't figure out what is so specifically unique to you, if you are bland wallpaper paste of job descriptions and job openings, if you look and sound like everybody else, if you refuse to define who you aren't, if you refuse to say anything interesting whatsoever, if all your job descriptions come out of somebody else's book, why on earth do people choose you? It's not about finding a job. The jobs, we're, we're lousy with jobs. <laughs> Let us put it that way. When I was unemployed and looking for a role, the, the world was my oyster. The place was lousy with jobs. And I submitted a lot of them. Did I hear back from all of them? No. Were I a match for all of them? No. Was that my fault? No. It was a bad system. Everybody posted jobs. They didn't explain themselves well. I had to read between the lines. I had to guess. And so I submitted jobs. Now, if I had known that job X was going to be my perfect dream job. And I had known that because it was well-written, because there was more conversation around that job, because there were stories about that job, because when I Googled that company, they were telling stories that I seemed to care about, that they were focused on work that I was passionate about. I just spent a lot more time submitting that application. 
I wouldn't have just copied and pasted my resume and cover letter and say, yeah, sure, whatever, you figure it out. You're not telling me. You're keeping the, the kimono pretty darn closed. I have no way in. If I do, it's going to take me hours of painstaking research just to figure out if you're the right company. Screw it. Here. Here's my resume. Here's my phone number. Here's my email. You want to talk to me, talk to me. And that is what so many talented people have been reduced to. Here, you figure it out. That's why recruiting is so hard. That's why the finding the needle in the haystack is getting worse. That problem is getting worse. It's not that nobody can find jobs. Again, solve the problem. The problem is we find all these jobs and we don't know which one we need to apply for. If I go searching for, um, I don't know, pick a job, data entry, paralegal, marketing specialist, uh, entry-level salesperson, I'm going to go on Indeed or LinkedIn or any of these job boards and I'm going to th find a thousand openings. A thousand. Easy. Easy. I'm in Chicago for God's sake. Easy. Which one do I apply for? Do I apply for the one at the top because Link or because LinkedIn or Indeed or Glassdoor was paid to put that one at the top? Ugh, no. I got to figure out the one that matters most to me, and that's going to take a lot of time, especially since most companies aren't doing a good job at all of saying who they are and what they stand for, and their job description sounds like every other job description. So, it's not about finding jobs or finding job openings. It's about making that job opening speak to the right person. It's not about making the most attractive thing in the world. It's not about making it interesting to everyone because there's no such thing. Right now, right now in this country, and I have a lot of non-US listeners who probably can't believe I'm about to say this or can't even believe this concept is happening. Right now in this country, we are trying to give away insurance to people who want insurance. And there's a 50% of the country who think that's a bad idea. No idea has more than 51% acceptance rating. We've split the world so that any idea is split in half. Any idea. You can't believe it if you weren't living here, and I can't believe it if I do. No such thing as something everybody likes. No such thing. Cats versus dogs. Winter versus summer. Up versus down. Everybody has a choice. There's no such thing as a universally-like thing, except all recruiters think, I have to write a job description that is universally liked, that everyone understands, that everyone can appreciate. And it's impossible. It's impossible. So don't. Don't pretend that you can kind of quietly be interesting. You can't. You have to be loudly weird. You have to be yourself. You have to really understand what you are as a, as a company, as an employer, as a manager, as a hiring manager, whatever that part of it is. You have to know what it is and describe it and communicate it. You can't hide that light under a bushel, as my mother would say. You can't get, just kind of hope people will figure it out or read between the lines. If I'm looking for a job and I'm presented with a thousand opportunities, guess what I don't have time for? That, it is on you. I'm literally in my house by myself pointing at the air. You. It is up to you. It is incumbent upon you. It is your responsibility to make every element in your hiring ecosystem scream at the top of its lungs who you are and why you're different. Will you alienate 95% of people? Yes. You know what? That's a good thing because the people who aren't alienated by that, you're taking a very particular or strong approach, fall in love with you. And I just Googled this. There's 7.5 
billion people in the world. If just 5% of the world gets what you're trying to do, 5%, 375 million humans. You can alienate 95% of the world and you will still have millions of applicants to choose from. And you know what? Many of them will be unbelievably qualified. Qualified people who care about what you have to say and care about what you do and care about the way you do it will ignore the so-called obvious companies like the ones we've been talking about and talk to you instead because you are aligned with what they're doing. It's not a game of how many perks can I offer. It's not a game of how loud can I shout. It's not a game of how pretty my logo can be or how pretty my career site is. It's not a game of which tactic do I play today. It's a game of having a message worth sharing, worth resonating with, worth connecting with. If I have a thousand jobs I can apply for, why did I pick yours? And the benefit of that is when I decide to pick yours because I totally get what you're about, I'm going to put so much more passion and energy into the application, into the phone conversation, into the interview, and into my work when I show up to work. If I connect with you and you interview me, it will shine like I'm glowing how much we're meant to be together. You will be, it will be hands down obvious that I am the right candidate because even if I don't have a skill of the 20 you're asking for, you know that I care about what you're doing so much that I will make that happen. That's who you want to hire. You're not hiring a set of skills. You're hiring a person. And we've reduced job openings to here's a set of skills and a set of requirements that you forget about the people or the person behind it on both sides of the table, the person who's hiring and the person who's being hired. And this is what's killing job hunting right now. This is what's killing recruitment marketing is we've removed the people from the process. And that's what I think our biggest issue is. We have to figure out how to really inject the humanity into this process. It's not about sticking pretty hero images with diverse you know, uh, people sets into those images. That doesn't make you more or less human. The process makes you human. The content makes you human. The stories you tell make you human. And it attracts other humans. The process of interviewing for a job is hilarious, if you really think about it. It's the world's most complicated, goofy, kabuki theater you've ever seen. I'm going to write a resume designed only to show you my amazing attributes. That's my job. That is my job as a candidate, right? I'd be a fool if I told you how many different times I screwed up on my resume. A fool. It's marketing copy. It's like when you're buying a lawnmower and it tells you how amazing that lawnmower is and it doesn't say, oh yeah, by the way, uh, you're going to need to spend extra on this, 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 this. It doesn't, a, a, a commercial is not about giving you all the information. It's about making you want to buy. And that's what a resume is there for. It's making you there. It's there only to get you to pick up the phone so we can have a phone conversation. Now, once enticed by my amazing uh, commercial for me and you pick up the phone, your job is to try to peek behind the commercial and see who's really there. My job, of course, is to prepare a bunch of answers in anticipation of your questions so I never let you see the negative. You only see the positive. I'm only showing you what I want you to see and that becomes the dance, whether it's the phone conversation or the interview or the technical interview or whatever. It's the kabuki dance of I'm only showing you what I want you to see and you're desperate to see beyond that and I'm dancing as hard as I can to keep that from happening. It is so stupid, it's insane. And this is 99.999% of all hiring today. Right? Right? Isn't that what we're doing? Where's the humanity? 
That's the problem. You sh once you embrace your humanity, once your company embraces humanity and says, look, we hire people, we care about people and what they do and what they care about, the game starts to change. So as I call out and call BS on the concept of we help people find jobs, which isn't true, it's helping we help people find job openings, what this really is about, it's about we're not treating jobs like transactions. We're not treating people like resumes. We need to treat people like people by being people. And that's the future of recruitment marketing today. That's where we're all headed. This is where it's all moving. I know we talk about Google for Jobs and it's yet another transactional model. But what is going to happen, and I think we'll talk about this next time because I just realized what I'm talking about. What Google ends up doing is making it transparent, making this process transparent. Yes, I'm going to stop here because I'm going to leave that for the next round. i got to make a note for myself what the heck I'm going to talk about next round. So thanks for listening. Uh, a few notes, a few minor housekeeping notes. It sounds like I'm getting booked for a gig in San Francisco in February, Social Recruiting Strategies Conference. So if you're interested, uh, they haven't released officially the uh, speaker list, but I'm told I'm on it. So there you go. Uh, come see me. <laughs> Um, I'm doing, you know, I'm not at liberty to talk about the two other projects I'm doing. So I will let you know as they come up, but I'm, I appreciate everybody reaching out and, and suggesting places for me to speak. I love doing this, not just here in my house, but also in front of actual human beings who can give me that look like a dog being shown a card trick when I say the crazy stuff that comes out of my mouth. So that I have a chance to kind of, kind of explain what I'm thinking. So I don't sound like the total crazy person that you think I am right now. So I thank you. And if you have any more opportunities for me to speak, I'd love to talk to you. Otherwise, as per usual, put a review in for me on iTunes or Google Play. Come find me on Twitter and LinkedIn. It's where I live. Thank you so much for listening. And to all the people in Japan and Egypt in the last two weeks who suddenly popped up on my radar. I don't know where you came from, but welcome. Uh, and, and I'll see you, uh, you know, next week. Thanks so much for listening. Bye.